0: The Why Women Grow podcast is proud to partner with Seedlip, who love nature as much as we do. With each flavour boasting a delicious mix of natural botanicals, Seedlip is perfect for enjoying in cocktails or simply with tonic. Seedlip was founded from a love of nature and continues to work to protect it, donating 1% of their global revenues to sustainability charities. And you can make mine a garden and tonic. I try to come out here most mornings and sometimes I really don't want to but it's amazing how the minute I step over that doorstep there's a real sense of calm preoccupation I'm suddenly sort of fascinated by what's going on over there and whether something else has grown there and whether something's popped into bloom and I'm just fascinated by what goes on and I that curiosity for me is an innately joyful part of my day. And I think that's ultimately what we garden for, its the pursuit of happiness. And making that part of our lives is harder than it sounds, but our guest today has absolutely built it into hers.
1: There's no better place than the garden to just have a few hours piece where you don't have to speak to anybody but you're you are communicating you're communicating with your garden you're communicating with your soil and you're, you're 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 creating something so you're doing something but it doesn't have to be with words and i quite appreciate that
0: paula sutton is the creative mind behind the wildly successful instagram account hill house vintage She's also a stylist, an author, and, perhaps most of all, a purveyor of joy. After navigating a career in the fast-paced and glamorous world of fashion magazines, 12 years ago, Paula relocated from the streets of South London to Hill House, an idyllic Georgian home in Norfolk. There, she decided that she was going to live and raise her three young children with a focus on what made her happy. Gardening is important to Paula. And while it's something she discovered later in life, it's become a crucial part of living in a more meaningful way.
1: I love large lawns because they are perfect entertaining spaces and they're perfect playing spaces for children. I love green in a garden. I love having structure in a garden. So I love hedges. I love um, box hedges, the yew hedge. And I love garden rooms, so we've got the, the big yew hedge and there's a little corridor through it and no-one knows what's on the other side. I mean, everyone knows what's on the other side, but you have this feeling that nobody knows what's on the other side, so it's this little secret garden through there. Shall we go through the corridor? Oh. <laughs> this is something new, because we've always had plants underneath the yew hedge and we've struggled with... Um, things that will grow because uh, the yew hedge sucks all the nutrients and sucks all the goodness from underneath it so I've um, been digging out a bed um, or two beds in front to bring them a bit further into the Sun and I will be planting lots of tulips here and lots of daffodils so just to get some color and happiness here because it was once again it was very green and tulips we had um, a board of tulips last year and the year before and they looked lovely But it wasn't enough. I I want an abundance of tulips. I'm I'm sort of like a massive fan of tulips and things. And then there are some roses that are beginning to establish, they're beginning to really settle in. They haven't sort of, they didn't perform much last year, um, but this year, next year, I think they'll probably be really good. And then, of course, I have hydrangeas everywhere. I'm obsessed with hydrangeas. But you've
0: got three seasons there, Mm. you know, with the roses, the hydrangeas and the Mm. tulips. Mm. And I love that you use
1: the word happiness. Mm. describe what your intentions for the bed are happiness is a thread that runs through my decorating through the garden through everything i do because we moved here at a time when i was feeling quite overwhelmed and feeling quite low and so this was meant to be my um a happy retreat so that has to come through in in the house and the garden
0: what color tulips have you chosen
1: I love a palette. I'm quite boring with my palette of colours. So I usually go for white and sort of the blues or violets and mauves and then pinks. But sometimes, you know, a yellow will flash in. You'll see actually when you get to the dahlias, um, yellows and peaches. I'm getting more adventurous with my colour, with my flowers. I'm very colourful with my decorating, very colourful with my how I dress. But my flowers, I started off. I, I don't know if it's something to do with working in fashion in London, but I started off feeling, oh yes, flowers. Are, the elegant flowers are white. But since I've been here, I'm into my lovely English country style and, of course, that's all about colour and that's all about different textures. So more and more colour is being introduced. So it'll have a base of, of whites and creams and pinks and, um, and purples, but I'm definitely going to throw a bit of orange and yellow and sort of tangerines in there and peaches. Because I think when you're too rigid and, it, and too strict about colour, you're maybe overthinking things, whereas when you're thinking, oh, yes, this is lovely. I used to, I planted um, dahlias in the same way in the beginning of the first year I planted dahlias, And then I realised I'd been given some yellow bulbs. And so yellow ones popped up. And in the beginning, I was sort of, oh, my goodness, why is there a yellow sort of dahlia there? And then the more the different colours popped up, the more I sort of like really relaxed into it and just thought, well, this is beautiful. And also this is nature. This is, you know, nature is winning through, which is what gardening's supposed to be about, isn't it? And ultimately, they all look quite nice in a vase. They do, they do, exactly. That sort of multicoloured mixture is just a wonderful thing, isn't it, to see, I think. Once again, it's joyful, and that's and that's what it's all about, I think, with gardens. I'm so excited to go through this tunnel. <laughs> it's just grown and grown and grown. This is my garden. I call this my garden because... Um, it was always my dream to have a raised sort of vegetable and cutting garden. And I wanted it to look as if it was um, Mr. McGregor's garden. <laughs> you can see here there's a pile of very rotten cabbages. And it was it was the first year I tried cabbages and oh my goodness, I will never try them again because it was just, well, as you can see, they're like beautiful bits of lace now because we had so many sort of cabbage fly and cabbage... Um, caterpillars it just they just killed them off completely and the reason they're here is because as a gardener and someone wanting to grow my own produce it's really annoying but as somebody who's visual i found it really beautiful
0: <laughs> they look, i was going to say they're sort of tumbling out of this bucket and it's a very tasteful sort yeah. of sage olivey green bucket yeah. and they've got the clods of earth attached and it does look quite lovely and
1: this I, I found it quite beautiful. And this is so bizarre because I know anyone else would come in and go, why the hell have you kept these cabbages that are not going anywhere? But h- how beautiful do they look? I think they look gorgeous. So at the moment, I'm just enjoying the aesthetics of it all, which um, I'm always torn between that. I'm always torn between because my whole aesthetic is all sort of faded grandeur and things that are slightly dilapidated and sort of antiques and vintage and something that's sort of matured over time. And I like that in my garden as well, which isn't always um, conducive to things growing properly. <laughs> <sometimes> <laughs> because I, I, I like things that are sort of slightly decaying. There's beauty in the decay as well. I love how beautiful vegetables look. So, you know, the beetroot over there. Mm. I love the beetroot leaves. So sometimes, you know, I should have perhaps pulled some of these up ages ago. But I leave them in because I just love how it looks. I, an empty bed it's quite sad until you've got proper frost and then it looks sparkly and pretty. Mm. So at some point I'll put all these beds to to bed. Mm. But at the moment I'm really enjoying the aesthetics of it all.
0: I do think decay in the garden is so important Mm. though and it's increasingly, I mean ecologically, it's really Mm. important to keep those things there. But also gardening is about a life cycle ultimately. And if you can't appreciate the beauty of every part Mm. of that life cycle... There's not a lot of point in doing it in my opinion. So true.
1: so true. And I think that is a life lesson for you know in every corner of our world and life, isn't it really? I think you've got to really appreciate the decay and the things that there there is a cycle to life in in you know in every corner of life, which I think is there's beauty in all of that. We moved here when my son was I think he was 8 or just about to turn 8 and my twin daughters were 5. And so for them at the time, it was suddenly they'd come from this very relatively small garden to this great expanse of garden. And that was so, it was magical watching them explore. Um, At first it was scary. I used to sort of go from each window thinking, where are the children, where are the children? Because I wasn't used to seeing them out of my sight line. You know, it's sort of, um, it was weird getting used to having a large garden. When we, I realised they were safe and fine. It was, it was lovely seeing the garden through their eyes because... What you see as the edge of the garden, there's a, quite a few meters beyond the trees and beyond the the um, the hedges and the bushes. So there are all these like, sort of little corridors and nooks and crannies and spaces to hide and spaces to discover that they discovered and they would play hide and seek. And so it was a really magical garden. And this was before I planted anything myself or they would make films and they'd video in those big old massive camcorders from the old days and they'd make films where they were pirates and they were exploring the jungle and they would be behind the bushes and jump out on each other and so even though they've they've had a little sort of gap I mean they enjoy the garden but they enjoy sunbathing and they enjoy having friends and around the table and drinking, they enjoy the sort of social side of having a garden but not so much the growing side so they've always used it but at you know, for a while, it was just the whole space was very magical.
0: You are standing in front of possibly a platonic form of an apple tree. And yeah. I've just been watching this, a bee, an yeah. ambitious November bee, <laughs> find its way around.
1: Those Do you eat those apples? They look gorgeous. There, there, we've got two trees there. There's One is a cooking um, apple tree, which I think is the one behind, which isn't as productive or has sort of stopped. And then the one that's the um the eating apple and we do i make lots of chutneys and um and apple sauces with them and that that's so lovely i mean it's just lovely growing things that you can actually eat and use i i just adore it it's something that came to me late in life although my parents had always done it they would always grown their own produce but i was more the sort of person who would sit and watch and then enjoy it sort of second hand but um Yeah, I've totally caught the bug. My father said that I would at some point. He said, one day you'll just really throw yourself into your garden and you'll love it. And I was like, no, I don't get my hands dirty, Daddy. You know, that's, that's just not me. Then I came to Norfolk and looked at the garden for a year or so, sort of started plotting and planning and just fell in love completely. You know, I'm not an expert, but I am an expert in having a go and enjoying even the sort of the trial and error of it all and things fail, and then you learn what to do the next time round, and um, and that's part of the fun.
0: It's been a really funny year to garden in, but I think you, you've you got such beautiful accessories, for want of a better word, you know, a gorgeous wooden planter, and your bean poles are terribly neat, and you've got gorgeous little cold frames and cloches.
1: It's intentional. I love, I love beautiful things. I like objects that enhance the space in an area, and I think that is the same for whether it's an interior or whether it's the garden and also in in winter when everything's a bit stark and a bit bare i love looking at structure i like i like to have something beautiful to look at in the garden and i think it's important to make sure that it's gorgeous all the year round so i have um glass cloches based on a victorian design the rhubarb forces are original victorians and they're just so gorgeous and dome-like and as i say it is mr mcgregor's garden that's the (laughs) image i had in my mind and i I just love the structure so they enhance when things are growing but they're still beautiful when there's nothing there Mm. so um yeah it just just makes me very happy to see lovely things
0: what informs your aesthetic sensibility i feel like this is so much part of who the world sees paula sutton Mm. as where did it all come from
1: I mean, the garden side of things came from my parents' love of the garden. And really, when I say my parents, it was more my father. My mother enjoyed potting around the garden, but she was more into her flowers, whereas my father was the flowers and the, and the vegetables and the growing and, and having a very productive garden. He was also very neat, so everything was in rows and everything was very considered and planted in a certain way. And that might sound as if it was too restrictive, but in actual fact, it made things look beautiful. And it's, it drew me to being around the garden a lot, even if I wasn't always helping him to dig the potatoes. But I was always there watching because I just thought it was a, mag- a magical place. So I've always loved beautiful gardens. I'm obsessed with, with seeing other people's gardens, actually. And so I think there's, there's certainly, amongst the chaos, because, you know, it's not perfectly sort of beautifully done as my father might do it. But amongst the chaos, there is form and symmetry as well so there's four square beds in front of a very um, symmetrical garden house which is my office and that's because I just I love how that looks I love in the same way that I love Georgian properties and the Georgian symmetry I, I wanted that sort of symmetry in the garden and what it means is that I can be as chaotic and as um, crazy with the planting as I want to be but there's still that sort of odd sense of order Otherwise, I think it would look a bit too wild.
0: <laughs> when you mentioned the, the garden that your your father tended to, mm. can you tell us a bit about that? Where was it? What did it look like?
1: Well, I mean, in my lifetime, there have been several gardens. We started off in a little house in South London, and... That was a very long and narrow garden and half of that was taken up with a vegetable patch. So he grew tomatoes. I, I remember the tomatoes were huge. I don't know if it was because I was small, but he had these massive tomatoes and then potatoes. And he was very much more into his vegetables at that point. Um, and I think that was necessity as well. It was sort of, you know, in the 1970s, cost of living and, you know, growing your own food was a good thing to do. But also he'd come from the Caribbean where everyone Grows their own food you know it's that's what you do so he came over with that sensibility to England and then over the years we moved to a larger um, Victorian house which was detached and had its own big garden around it and then we had a rose garden because he loved his roses and then we had a vegetable garden and it was sort of growing lots of layers of my life experience and different ways of sort of living and different ways of viewing life through my parents eyes has really sort of made me appreciate having a garden full stop because, of course, it's a privilege to have a garden, which is amazing. But also, it's um, a privilege to be able to, to use it and, and try your hand at, at growing anything. You know, for years, I, this was just patchy grass and was not a very pleasant part of the garden, which is why it's quite nice. It was beyond the hedge. No one saw this. Yeah. But yes, it's, uh, I always had in my mind's eye that something beautiful could come out of come out of it and it's sort of very it's a very restorative sort of area and it's it, I find it peaceful and um, my mother died before I completed it and I I almost feel it's my mother's garden so I think about my mother a lot in here so it's, it's where I come to almost meditate but also it's where I come to work.
0: It feels like a, the word that comes to mind is sanctuary yes it is yes. and very much your sanctuary yes
1: yes it's definitely my sanctuary my, my, my husband loves gardening too I mean we've both taught ourselves to sort of like garden neither of us knew what we were doing before we came here really so we both have fun here but this is certainly my my area and I plan what goes in and I plan how it looks and um, but we both enjoy it the children don't come here much (laughs) only to come and ask me things in the in my garden office but um they're not too bothered but um you know it's it's funny as you say the cycle of life I've told them one day one day this will really interest you (laughs) (laughs) do you have any moments
0: of recognition like that that you can recall?
1: I think it was probably when I had my children and you start thinking of your spaces and you start thinking, how can I adapt the outside space from just somewhere I drink wine into something that is actually useful and usable, but still attractive and still beautiful. And I think that's the first time, and this is back in London, when I started thinking, right, let's start zoning this. And my, my house in London had, I think it was about 30 feet of terrace more than anything and a little patch of um, grass but I started thinking about zoning it into an area where the children would play where I could have flowers white flowers at the time (laughs) (laughs) and it was you know I started getting that that bug then but I've always been into architecture and houses and interiors so that sort of comes hand in hand I think it's um you know a garden should never be an afterthought it should be part of your style and part of your aesthetic So um, gardens were always on my mind. It's just that I didn't really get into my own garden until I had children, I think, properly.
0: And, you know, as you say, that transition, I know, was quite a big life change for you. Something you've written about in your book, moving from London, giving into a life that was where happiness
1: was the main intention. What was making that transition like? It was interesting because it was something I knew we had to do. I've never looked back with any regrets and I've never looked back with um, thinking perhaps we should have done something differently. At the time, I still, I knew that it was the right thing to do, but there were times when it was very lonely and very scary. And um, I say it's scary and it seems so ridiculous. My parents moved from a a tiny Caribbean country uh, across the world to a country that wasn't always the most welcoming for them. Was a completely different climate, and then I say how scary it was moving a hundred miles up the road. So it, it's sort of, you know, it, it's all sort of relative, isn't it? But um, you know, leaving London and leaving my career was quite scary because you do suddenly isolate yourself from your your friends. And of course, friends come up in the first few months because everyone wants to know what you're doing and why you've moved and where you've gone to. And then people get on with their own lives as they, as they ought to, as they should do. And that's when it starts to go a bit quieter and then you think okay now 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 what what do i do now i i can't see my i can't pop out and see my friends whenever i want to without having to sort of organize a train ticket get on the trains you know spend a whole day going to see them so there was an adjustment period where um i was quite lonely that's when i started really starting to enjoy the garden because you start making the best of the life you have and the things that you have the garden was a comfort, was a really beautiful comfort. And the lovely thing with gardens is that they're very forgiving. So if you ignore them one day, they're fine. They're still there for you. You know, they don't, they don't get upset, if, like friends might do if you don't turn up for the appointment, you know, or the meeting. And it was wonderful to, to try things in my own space, a space that was mine. So nobody could say, well, that's wrong. You know, you're not doing it correct there. And that was really healing it was um it was lovely I mean I've made so many errors in this garden and I've discovered so many things that I've done brilliantly which is well actually I say so many fewer things that I've done brilliantly more errors but it's all (laughs) been wonderful finding out what works and what doesn't and that's taken many years I still don't know everything about this garden but I love that because I think it should, you should always be learning and finding out things about the space you live in. I think that's a lovely thing. I'd, the day I know every single thing and I get it all right is probably the day we'll want to leave. And I hope that doesn't come for a long, long, long time. I garden because I am an introverted extrovert. So I can be the life and soul of the party, but I also need time on my own and I need to be creative on my own and there's no better place than the garden to just have a few hours peace where you don't have to speak to anybody but you're you are communicating you're communicating with your garden and you're communicating with your soil and you're 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 you're, you're creating something so you're doing something but it doesn't have to be with words and i quite appreciate that
0: Big thank you to Paula Sutton. If you want to find out more about Joyful Living, check out her book, Hill House Living, or her Instagram account, Hill House Vintage. This podcast is inspired by my book, Why Women Grow, Stories of Soil, Sisterhood and Survival, which is out on March 2nd and available to pre-order now. On each episode of Why Women Grow, I'm giving you an exclusive preview of the book, which is read by Fiona Hampton. Here's
2: the next instalment. I would grow listless on the sofa, but I would devote hours to the pots and plants on the balcony, watering and feeding and gently tugging away at old foliage. The table swelled with seedling pots, the chairs became covered with planters. Sometimes I'd look back on my work with satisfaction, after several wintry hours planting bulbs, but mostly I was taken by the doing. The balance of intuition and challenge that happened when I went out there to do just one thing and came back in an hour later, fingertips darkened with soil. The balcony would often catch me off guard, the palest blue iris reticulata open at frosty daybreak, or the generous tumble of nasturtium, but what I didn't know was that I was nurturing a space that would eventually accommodate two. Over the course of a spring and a summer, Matt and I worked and ate at the same small table, feet and laptop cables colliding on the floor. We slept until the dawn chorus woke us. One evening in May, on the balcony, we decided to get married. An unexpected change of state happened once I'd said yes, as if we'd somehow made ourselves new. A bright kind of first-date nervousness. Perhaps it was the absurdity of it, that something as simple as asking a question and giving an answer could shape the rest of our lives.
0: The Why Women Grow podcast is produced by Holly Fisher and the theme music is by Maria Chiara Agiro. Thank you to our partners at Seedlip. We've also been photographing our guests and their gardens and you can see the beautiful images captured by Siobhan Watts on my Instagram account, Nauticulture. If you've enjoyed this episode of why women grow it would mean so much if you could rate and review the podcast on whichever platform you're listening in on or share it with someone you think
2: may enjoy it